Last week we talked about a man named Matthew who was a disciple of Jesus, but before he was a disciple, he was a tax collector. His life was consumed by money. What he did was go out every day and rob and steal from people and charge them more than what they could afford, but they could do nothing about it. And so Matthew, he came into a situation before he had met Jesus where money was his love, money was his world, money was his everything. But when he meets Jesus and when he looks into the eyes of Jesus, he realizes in a split second that everything that he thought was worthy in his life was now worth nothing and was just filthy rags compared to the love that he saw in the eyes of God. And so that's what we're talking about. And I'm excited this morning to talk uh, on Easter morning about Mary Magdalene and um, the encounter that she had with Jesus, who was the first person to encounter Jesus on the morning of his resurrection. So I want to pray again and just bless the time and, and the words that God wants to speak to every single one of us, and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful morning, Lord, where we can celebrate, not that we don't always celebrate, but this morning specifically, we celebrate what you did, Lord, that you died, that you rose again, that you broke uh, sin and, sh- and shame and that you conquered death, Jesus. So we believe that uh, you have a word for us that you want to change us this morning and we receive that. We open our ears and our hearts and our minds to exactly what you want to say, our creator, our maker, Lord, who has a plan for every single one of us, God. So we ask these things in your precious name and everyone said aloud. Amen. Amen. That's good. Um, does anyone else here not like first impressions, like going through a first impression with anyone? Show of hands, like all the pressure, like everything's riding on the line and, and like it's scary. You only get one shot at it. So if you mess up, uh, it's too bad. I think one of the, the most important first impressions you could ever make is with your, fir- with, <laughs> with your future father-in-law. See, I get nervous even talking about it. Now... <laughs> My father-in-law is sitting here in a really cool uh, uh, blazer. Um, But many of you know that I didn't date in high school. So meeting the father-in-law or the parental-in-laws was not something I had a whole lot of experience with. Um, Meeting for the first time the person that, uh, the dad of the girl that you're marrying, I was super, super nervous. Like this is not something that I had ever done before. And not, and beyond that, um, my father-in-law and mother-in-law were pastors of a church. They were district supervisors of 50 churches on top of that. Not to mention when I met them, they were standing, hanging out with Jack Hayford, which if you know who Jack Hayford is, he's like this big wig in, in Christianity. And so I am scared to death, but, um, we were, uh, going to meet them. They had come out to LA for some meetings and Michelle wanted to introduce me to him. Like to Michelle, this isn't a big deal. It's dad. Not, not a problem. It's mom. Uh, but the problem with me was I'd been really sick for like six months and I had this weird tonsil thing where they would swell up and I couldn't swallow. And if I did swallow, it'd come out of my nose TMI, I know, but, um, <laughs> I really, I couldn't swallow unless if I iced down my throat and then I would take these antibiotics and they were like my lifeline, especially on this day where I'm about to meet my future in-laws or I, I knew that they were going to be my future in-laws. They probably didn't know that yet. Um, but 
Um, on top of that, I also had this issue with my jaw that I think sort of was related to my throat where I couldn't open my jaw more than like a quarter inch. So I could barely even get a spoon in there to eat. And we were going to go out to dinner afterwards, and I knew that I was only going to be able to eat soup. And these people were going to have such pity on me, but there's no way that they're going to entrust their daughter, their firstborn, to this guy. And so we get there. I'm super nervous. Um, I need to take my antibiotic because that's like my 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 like warm comfort blanket. Uh, I just know if I have that, then I'll be okay. But I don't have any water left, and I'm super. My throat's super dry, and it's one of those not a. It's a capsule, so it's got the plastic coating on the outside. And I was like, no problem. I'll just like swallow it. This isn't a big deal. Bad idea. Really bad idea. So I go to swallow it, and it like adheres to my throat. And and when those things open, what's inside of them? It is like napalm. It was like. <laughs> burning my throat. So we're walking. I'm hacking up of my lungs, literally. Burning sensation, napalm in my throat. We get to him, and the only thing I can see is that my father-in-law, future father-in-law, has a bottle of water in his hand. He's standing with Jack Hayford and Julie, and no, uh, the first thing out of my mouth was not, nice to meet you, Mr. Van Dyke, or thank you for um, coming, Mr. Van Dyke. It was can I please have a drink of your water? <laughs> and so <laughs> he's looking at me. He's like, yeah, sure. And I don't think he asked for it back. Um, <laughs> but meeting a father, it's a big deal. And when it's your father, it's just, yeah, that's dad. And, and I'm excited to have you meet my dad. When, it, when it's somebody else's dad who's significant in your life or father figure, it's a huge story. It's a big deal. It's a different story. And throughout the ministry of Jesus, what we see is that he time and time again is wanting to introduce us to the father. He tells all of these stories about who the father is and the character of the father and the love of the father. So to Jesus, he knew it was a big deal for us to meet his father. And before Jesus, in the Old Testament specifically, the father is a lot more elusive than we might think. Uh, many times we think that the Bible in the Old Testament is talking about the father where it's actually talking about the son. And yes, I know the Trinity, the three in one, but, and I'm not trying to start some new doctrine, but I also know that these are three distinct persons. And if you look throughout the Old Testament, especially, there are places that I think we assume that the father was meeting people where it was actually the son. One is in the Garden of um, Eden. This Garden of Eden, the very beginning of time. I believe that was Jesus who was walking with Adam and Eve. Uh, in the burning bush where God's talking to Moses, I always thought it was the father, and there's definitely it could be. But what Moses says is, what is your name? Uh, which in the Hebrew, it's not actually, what is your name? They, they don't say that. It's who is your name? What is your essence? And what God says back is, I am. Now, that's interesting because in John eight fifty eight, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And it says, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, before Abraham was, I am. I am means uh, past, I was, I am, and I will be. Another uh, characteristic of Jesus in Hebrews 13.8 is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think that it was Jesus that visited Abraham and Sarah before they were to conceive a child. I think that it was Jesus who was in the lion's den with Daniel. I think when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go to the fiery furnace and Nebuchadnezzar is looking in the furnace, what he says is, I thought we cast three men into the furnace, but I see a fourth 
and he looks like the Son of Man. That's Jesus. And so I want to show you why throughout the Old Testament, the Father is so elusive. Before Jesus, we don't see a lot of interaction. We do in some places, like Exodus 34, uh, where God self-discloses his name to us. And we're going to do a series on Wednesday night starting in May on that. Um, But I want to show you what Jesus did on Easter morning that gives us the ability to be introduced to and have a relationship with. With the Father. And so we're going to be in the context first is John 14 through 16, which is the Last Supper. And Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to go away, but then he's going to come back. And a lot of times, whenever we hear that Jesus says he's going to come back, what we think is the second coming. When Jesus comes back, he's talking about the second coming, but it's not always talking about the second coming of Jesus. A lot of times, it's actually talking about the three days and then the resurrection. So we're going to be in uh, John 14, verses 1 through 2. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. Why, why would their hearts be troubled? Because um, he's saying, he's talking about his impending death. You believe in God, believe, in all, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Now that word mansions, the Greek for that word is actually dwelling place. Uh, for some reason, in, um, in, in John 14, right there, it says mansions, but in the um, newer translations, a lot of translations, it actually, the Greek word, it actually means dwelling place. So don't get mad at me if you're wanting a big house in heaven, but I think that there's something deeper that Jesus is wanting to say to us besides the fact that you might have a 10-bedroom and 12-bath house with a view in heaven. I think there might be something a little bit deeper than that. And so what Jesus is saying here is, I am going away so that you can dwell with the Father. So that you can be in his presence. Because right now you can't. But I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to take care of that so that you can have a relationship with the Father. But before I go, when I go, you're going to be troubled and you're going to have sorrow. But that sorrow will be turned to joy. So this is talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. He says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you so that you can have a relationship with the Father. And uh, verse 25, he goes on and says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things which I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither neither let it be afraid. So he talks about two things here. He talks about the Holy Spirit and he talks about peace. Now this is important to remember because of the first time that Jesus meets his disciples after the resurrection and what he um, brings back to their remembrance. Uh, Going on to verse 28. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to my father, for my father is greater than I. Now watch verse 29. And I have told you before it comes so that when it does come to pass, you may believe. Now, now we know that for sure it's not talking about the second coming. It's, it's talking about after the three days. Because when Jesus comes back in the second coming, there's going to be no problem with people believing. The Bible says that every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
That's what happens when he comes back in the second coming. So Jesus is talking about here, not the second coming, because that's going to be a given that everyone will believe. This is actually talking about the three days. So Jesus is saying before his death, these things so that they will believe. And he gives them two signs to remember their conversation, which is peace in the Holy Spirit. Let's jump to John 16, verse 16 through 18. He continues in the same theme right before his death um, in crucifixion. A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to my father. Notice that he keeps emphasizing going to the father. Then some of his disciples among themselves said among themselves, what is this that he says to me? A little while and you will not see me. And then again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father, they said, therefore, what is this saying? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. They're still totally confused by Jesus. Now, Jesus probably saw in their faces and knew uh, that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while you will not see me and then a little while and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say that you will weep and lament. That's talking about the crucifixion. But the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. That's the resurrection. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the anguish for for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again. Again, this is talking about the resurrection and your heart will rejoice And your joy, no one will be able to take from you. So he's saying things are going to happen and you're going to be sad, but you will have joy again. And remember these two things that I've spoken to you, peace and the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you these things before they happen. So when they do happen, you will believe. So let's fast forward now to to Mary's encounter, face-to-face encounter with Jesus. Now again, Mary is the first one to encounter Jesus after he dies and is resurrected. In John 20, verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So what she does is she runs. She gets Peter and John. Uh, John makes sure that everyone knows that he was faster than Peter and got to the tomb first. Uh, Probably Peter was frustrated about that. Um, but we all know it now because of recorded history, and it's biblical, so we know it's true. Um, so then they leave, and she's left alone again in the, Bible, in, in the garden. And in verse 11, it says, And Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and, she, and as she wept, she stooped down to look in the tomb. Now, this is an amazing thing that a lot of people don't catch, but it's a really cool analogy, a spiritual analogy that a lot of people don't understand or see because this is what it says. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus was laid. Now, this is a spiritual analogy of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, which was in the Old Testament, what people reminded themselves of God's promise to them and God's future promise to them was a a box that was laid in gold. And at the head and at the foot, there was an angel. So this is a, a spiritual picture of what was in the Old Testament, what was promised to us as God's people. And here we have Jesus, is who is the new covenant, the new Ark of the Covenant. That's why the angels are on each side at the head and at the foot. Going on in verse 13, it says, then they, then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid, laid him. 
Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Now, this is really interesting to me because we know that Mary traveled with Jesus for two and a half years. That she met Jesus in his first year of of ministry in John chapter 8. It talks about how women traveled with the disciples and provided with him. And um, a lot of people don't know that. They think it was just Jesus and 12 guys. But common sense would tell you that 12 guys could not get along on their own without a woman present. So, (laughs) are the men clapping or the women? (laughs) I heard a man say amen, so... So Mary is one of these women, and so he traveled with, she traveled with Jesus for two and a half years. Why would she not recognize him? What's different about his appearance? And a lot of people will say, well, she didn't recognize him because he was so badly beaten. Well, the problem with that is that Mary is one of the people that took him off of the cross. And not only that, but she prepared his body for burial. So she would have absolutely knew what he looked like. So there's something different about Jesus. And remember what he said, I'm going to the Father. Now, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about Jesus and how he made a sacrifice. He entered the Holy of Holies one time for everybody. That means that he doesn't have to enter it time and time again to forgive our sins. But his sacrifice was good enough, was powerful enough, so that he could enter and shed his blood one time and cover all of sins for all of eternity. In the Old Testament, God set up a a system, a a type and a shadow of what was to come where people, when they sinned, every time they sinned, they had to come and give an offering for what they had done. And was that animal or that thing powerful enough to forgive them of their sins? Absolutely not. But it was showing that someday that there would be a sacrifice that was powerful enough to forgive all of us of all of our sins. And that is who Jesus is. And so Jesus in Hebrews, it says he came one time and made a sacrifice for all. So he's going to make a sacrifice for our sins before the Father. Yet she doesn't recognize him because of his appearance, that it's different. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Remember, she still doesn't know who this is. Whom are you seeking? She, she supposed him being a gardener. Now, whenever I see pictures of Jesus after the resurrection, he's like a bleach commercial, like white as snow and like glowing. But she thinks he's a gardener. And the only reason that she would think he was a gardener is because of the clothes he was wearing and as how dirty he would be. So she thinks, she assumes that this is a gardener. He obviously is not clean in white linens. Um, And it says, and uh, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. I think this is where Jesus opened her spiritual eyes. Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go and tell my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Now, this is the first time where God, Jesus uses this type of language. My father and your father, my God and your God. And uh, Jesus uses this word cling here, which really should be translated touch. Uh, 36 out of 36 times in the authorized version of the Bible, it's translated touch. It doesn't mean to grab or to embrace or to hold on to. Um, 
the woman who touches him, who has the issue of blood, it says that she touched him. This is the same Greek word that's used there. It says, if I, she says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. That's the same word that's used there. And then when Jesus turns around after she's healed, he says, who touched me? And this is the same word, again, that is used when it says, do not cling to me. It's the word touched is really how it should be translated. But Jesus says, don't touch me because I haven't yet ascended to the Father. A lot of us will think, well, that's talking about the 40 days when he goes to heaven um, for good until he comes back again at the end of time. But uh, that's not what he's talking about here. And, And what he says is, go tell the disciples, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father. So in the morning, it's don't touch me. In John 20, verse 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, now where was he all day? He said he was going to meet the Father. The same day in the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this thing, he showed them his hands and his sight. So at the beginning of the day, in the morning, it was, Don't touch me. By the end of the day, everything has changed. And he actually, in verse 27, he goes to Thomas and he says, touch me. So he goes from don't touch me to now touch me. From before he went to the Father to after he went to the Father. Before, don't touch me because I'm still dirty. Afterwards, touch me because I am clean. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, and he gives these two signs which he had spoken about before he died. Peace to you. As the Father sends me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So let's recap. His disciples, right before the crucifixion, he says, I'm going away for a little while. You're going to be very sorrowful, but that's going to be turned to joy. I'm telling you this beforehand so that you will believe. And when I come back, remember peace and the Holy Spirit. Then uh, Mary and the disciples see him, and he says to Mary, I'm going to the Father so that you can have a relationship with him. I'm going to go present myself so that no longer is he only my father, but he's your father as well. And remember, Mary couldn't touch him because he hadn't gone to the Father yet. So the two questions become, when did he go to the Father, and what in the world did he do during those three days? Well, Ephesians 4, 8, 9 says, Therefore he says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? So he went and set captivity free. What does that mean? That means that he went down, he descended And got all the Old Testament saints who could not dwell with the Father yet because Jesus hadn't prepared a place for them. He went not only to prepare a place for the disciples, but he went to prepare a place for you and me. And he went to prepare a place for the Old Testament saints so that we could all be with him. So he could be our father just like he is Jesus's father. So he goes and um, he goes down and then he on his way back up to heaven to reconcile us to the father, he actually stops by earth because um, he had told, he had to tell Mary to tell the disciples to meet him. Now he had already told the disciples to meet him, but whenever you really want something done, you have to tell a woman. So he, he tells, 
Mary. And while Jesus is talking to Mary, the Old Testament saints all say, hey, can we go check out our old stomping grounds? Because I want to go see where I used to live. And I think there's a Walmart there now. And I want to see and tell my friends what was there before. That's in Matthew 27, 53, or 52 and 53. It says, and the graves were open. This is after the resurrection. And the graves were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of their graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. So Jesus tells Mary, I'm ascending, not the ascension after the 40 days when he goes up to heaven to sit down at the right hand of the Father because it was finished. But this is before that. Jesus goes into the Holy of Holies, not during the, not during the three days, because that's when he descended to get the Old Testament saints, but after that. And he goes to heaven to make sure that everything that needed to be done was done so that sinful man could have relationship with perfect God. He did it. He did it on Resurrection Sunday, the day that we all celebrate today. Now, wouldn't it be powerful if somewhere in the Bible it spoke of what happened when he went to the Father after the three days? Between morning when he spoke to Mary and evening when he sees the disciples. Well, there's a really powerful uh, passage in the book of Daniel that I want to read to you. It's the most descriptive, second most descriptive passage of the Father in the Old Testament. But before I read that, it's important to read something that Jesus says right before his crucifixion. In John twelve thirty one. it says, Now is the judgment of, this, of the world. That's Jesus talking. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Satan. And this word now is very important because it happens right before Jesus goes to the cross. Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world is to be cast out. Not 2,000 years from now. Not 3,000 years from now. He says the word now. In other words, I'm going to get back what man lost when they lost it to Satan in the garden. So let's go to Daniel 7, verses 9 and 10. And I love this passage because it gives me chills uh, talking about the Father in Scripture. Here he is. And I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. That's the Father. His garment was white as snow, and his hair, the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, and its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before it. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Now, a lot of times we think this is talking about the end times because it sounds very end time-ish. But remember what we just read. Jesus speaks and says, now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler is to be cast out. And we have to realize that this is saying court, the court was seated. Court is happening here because there's a judgment that's about to be um, put forth. And it goes on in verse 11 and 12. I watched then because the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, I watched until the beast was slain. Again, now when we hear the word beast, we think the book of Revelation and the beast is Satan at the end of time. But in Daniel, there's actually four beasts. There's not just one beast, there's four beasts. And this one um, is slain and is thrown into the fiery pit. Now, in case you didn't know, death was defeated and destroyed and and killed 2,000 years ago. 
Death has no longer any power over the believer because death was destroyed. It goes on and says, And I watched until the beast was slain and his body was destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. What does Jesus say to his disciples? I have now the keys to the kingdom and I give them to you. Why is he able to say that? Because dominion had been taken away from the devil. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now, this is what happened when Jesus met Mary, when, she, when Jesus left Mary. In verse 13, I watched in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. In Hebrews, it talks about the Old Testament saints being a cloud of witnesses. Remember, the Old Testament saints, they come up with Jesus after he descends to the ascension. And this right here says that he came with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion was an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one that shall never be destroyed. This is talking about what happened after Jesus left Mary and said, I need to go to the Father. What did he do with the Father? He took away the keys of hell and death and dominion from the devil and now has given it to you and me. Amen. I have one point for you this morning. I have one thing that I want you to walk away from. And that's the truth that Satan has been lying to so many of us. Because what the enemy will try and tell you time and time again is that he has dominion over your life. That he has control over your life. That whatever's going on in your life, that there's nothing you can do about it. Whether it's an addiction, whether it's uh, family issues, whether it be um, the way that you look at yourself, we can't do anything about it because that's just the way it is. And that is a lie from the enemy. And God has such a greater plan for every single one of you. And 2,000 years ago, God took dominion away from Satan so that we could now be free. He has all authority. He has all dominion. That's why he says all authority has given, been given to me in heaven and on earth. That I've taken it back. That I am the one who is now in charge. That I've taken care of it. That I went into the holy place one time for all. That I sacrificed myself to you, for you to the Father. And now he sees you just like he sees me. Now no longer is he my father, but he's your father as well. And it says that Satan's dominion was taken away, but his life's, his life was prolonged for a season. So yes, Satan is still active, but if you believe and put your trust in Jesus Christ and you walk with him, he no longer has dominion over your life. He no longer has a say in what you can and cannot do. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. 1 John 3, 8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Colossians 2, 15, Having disarmed, guess what? That's past tense. 
having disarmed principalities and powers, he made, past tense again, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. That's anything that's going wrong in your life. God wants to make a public spectacle of that, that they have no place in your life anymore. Because God has given us the keys. The reason that Mary's encounter is so important is because of what Jesus says. He says, let the disciples know I am going to the Father to take care of it. He took care of it. And that's what we celebrate this morning. That he came, that he died, that he rose again, and then he presented himself to the Ancient of Days for every single one of us. In Daniel 7, 21 and 22, going a little bit further, it says, I was watching in the same horn that was making war against the saints and prevailing against them um, until the ancient of days came and judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. That happened 2,000 years ago. And as a saint, you and I can now possess the kingdom of God. No longer do we live in a kingdom of darkness. We now live in a kingdom of light. Here's what happened. The demons were there. The saints were there. Jesus shows up. The ancient of days walks in, sits down with his gavel, and he says this, demons lose, saints win. That's what he said. But here's my question for you. What team are you playing for? Because you give dominion every single day to somebody in your life. You don't have to give dominion to the enemy anymore because Jesus has taken it away. But so many times we decide to yield dominion to one who no longer has dominion. You will either give it to Jesus or you will give it to the world. And Jesus this morning is saying that I introduced you to the Father. Or maybe he's saying, I want to introduce you to the Father. I did all of this for you. I did all of this because I love you. I did all of this because I created you for something so much greater than what you could do on your own. Each one of us, we have a higher calling And the only reason that we can walk in that calling is because the keys and the dominion that was taken away from us was taken back by Jesus. But you have to have a relationship with him. That is the story of Easter. And he wants it to be spread to every single person around the world. It's the reason he came, so that he could beat sin and death and condemnation to introduce every single one of us to the Father. Would you pray with me?